Welcome to the Injury Investigator Podcast, where we investigate the body and how it creates patterns around your injury. I'm your host, Kim Fisher-Keys, sport massage and injury therapist and bike fitter in the Washington, D.C. area. After working with elite and weekend warrior athletes for 15 years, I'm bringing my well-traveled mosaic background to the world of podcasts. If you want to find out more about my journey from Northern California and neuromuscular re-education to osteopathy in Paris, France, to Florida and NFL players, you can find me at functionalfitbody.com or on Instagram at Kim F. Key. This podcast does not give medical advice. It is intended for listening purposes only. It is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Welcome to the Injury Investigator Podcast. I'm your host, Kim Fisher-Key, and today we are talking with Jen, who is a both a yoga instructor and a student of the human body. With her love for movement and mindfulness, she brings passion for yoga and a background in education to the mat. She's been practicing yoga since 2008 and teaching music for over 20 years as a professional clarinetist. Jen completed her RYT 200-hour yoga teacher training in 2019, a 300-hour training in 2022, and now shares joy and wellness with the Yoga 6 community. And she also loves to share with me when she asks a bazillion questions about different body parts, like a hip joint or how muscle moves. And that's why I have invited her on this podcast today to talk more about yoga and really what it is and why we should or should not do it and maybe the journeys through yoga, the yoga universe, like the multiverse, but the universe instead. (laughs) So welcome to the Injury Investigator podcast, Jen. Thanks for having me, Kim. (laughs) Okay. So, of course, we have bounced some ideas back and forth about yoga. And I think where I want to start is... Sometimes I have a client who seems very inflexible and they say to me, I know I should stretch or I know I should do yoga, but I just don't want to lie down on the floor and breathe and it's so boring. So I'm sure you've had this, (laughs) some of these interactions as well. What would be some things to say to a person who has an idea of yoga that may not be 100% accurate? So yoga is a very big term. It is, there's not one definition. There is a definition of yoga, but it doesn't have to do with what we're talking about right now. The definition of yoga is unity, where you're connecting the body and the mind, right? That's the definition. This is an an ancient practice that has taken very different shapes over the past hundred years. Um, So when you're going into a yoga class, It depends on what class, the name of the class, the studio, the teacher. Mm. There's a a different variant for pretty much anyone. And when I have athletes who tell me that they think yoga is boring, I personally take it on a challenge, especially when they're like, oh, well, I just did this Ironman in this speed and I run six minute miles. So yoga is going to be easy. And I'm like, yay. fun." Um, there absolutely is a yoga practice where you're laying on a mat and breathing. 
that's absolutely yoga. But there's also a yoga practice, which is what I specialize in, which is power vinyasa, where you're connecting every breath to every movement. So in a 60 minute class, we're probably doing 35 to 40 poses Mm. as opposed to a 60 minute class where you're doing eight to 12 poses. Some people prefer the eight to 12. I see a place for that, but my preference is the, the active vinyasa flow. Um, and there's also middle grounds. I teach a slow flow as well, which is where I have a lot of my athletes coming in. And Mm. even my very strong Ironman, half Ironman, regular triathletes, come and there's one in particular who lately when he comes is like oh my gosh like i'll call something oh why are we doing this like it's (laughs) comic relief for the class because this guy can go and run a marathon but to hold this pose for four breaths Mm. is taking a lot out of him so it's a different kind of physical strength and mental strength which absolutely relates to any other athlete So I think, actually, I'm going to pause there because I think that piece of information is huge. I think when you have, and and I'll say athletes, but I'll say people in in our daily lives, our idea of strength versus flexibility. And one of the things that I say to people when I start teaching them about fascia is you can't strengthen what doesn't lengthen. So you can't necessarily add and add and add and continue adding, which is kind of strengthening the fibers, muscle or fascia, indefinitely without also giving it, and I, I, what I say is bounce back. You need to have some kind of a recoil, some kind of a flexibility, some kind of a bounce back in the tissue, or eventually it will break. So I think people in general, athletes, and then just all of us in daily life, we kind of muscle through or we push through because we need strength. And, you know, there's a lot of studies, especially for women with osteoporosis that say we need to build strength in order to make our bones strong. And so we have this idea of kind of the lifting and the strength, and that uses a very different mindset and muscle movement than what you're bringing to the mat in your classes where you have to really connect and going back to what you were saying between body and mind and breathing you have to really connect those movements and I I I call a lot of that like intrinsic movements like these tiny tiny little movements together is harder for them and you totally see that (laughs) absolutely absolutely and even as a yoga person when I I remember I've tried a couple bar classes and the way bar does movement is so completely different than anything else. Like even that is a different kind of strength than what I have. But when I'm, so yoga is both. When we do one pose, we do the counter pose. If we forward fold, then we, if we back bend, then we forward fold. If we turn left, if we twist one side, we also twist the other side. If we're doing, you know, any sort of motion, there's a counter to it so that we aren't just pulling and pulling until it snaps. I do think too, and you think about a person in their regular life, you do regular, repetitive motion all the time. Absolutely. So even if you think about cycling and running, it's the same forward motion, right? Front, front, back, front, back. So they may have that kind of and forward motion going down, but then if you try to maybe do a little bit of a back bend or a side twist, that's not available because that's right. not what the body knows. 
Um, yeah, so I do think that is probably the biggest aha for a lot of people when they go from what they maybe envision about yoga and their body and what strength is and then to the class and then they realize, oh, <laughs> this, is, this is not what I expected at all. No. And then it is hard. And then it, that's when it's hard. That's when it gets hard because it's not what their body is used to or what they know. So going into, you kind of talked about this already, the different types of yoga. Um, I kind of want to go into that a little bit because recently, well, recent for me anyways, there's been a lot more talk about restorative yoga. Um, or is it called yin yoga where you uh, hold a pose for a long period of time? Can you talk about the theory behind that type of yoga? So the yin yoga, it's the yin and the yang, right? The, the moon and the sun, the power and the passive. And yin is absolutely up your alley with what we talk about with fascia, because the idea is that there's a difference of yin and restorative. Restorative is, that's when you're laying down on pillows and props and blankets, and you're just laying there and letting gravity release all of your muscles. Mm. The yin is more finding that balance between active and passive. My teacher called it the Goldilocks paradox, not too much, but not too little. Hmm. So you're getting a stretch without being actively stretching and holding the poses longer. And when I first did my training in restorative, I would do a restorative class once a week and I would do power classes five or six times a week. And what I found out that after spending six hours in a weekend in restorative poses, my power practice was so much stronger because my fascia was healing. Hmm. So it almost feels like you're doing nothing, but you're healing your muscles so that then they are stronger for the active part. So it's, I don't personally think it's a great idea to only do one or only do the other. Mentally, some people will go towards one or the other, like the super hyperactive people that can't go, go, go. A restorative class is really good because it provides the balance. Mm. Or somebody who's a little on the lazier side, an active class might pull them out of their comfort zone and get them to be more active than they naturally would. But that goal is always to find the balance. Well, I think you just gold starred everything we do so we can end this podcast right now. <laughs> it's been fun. It's been um, great. The recovery, the restore restoration, and I and I do think recovery is becoming a buzzword lately. There's more, you know, in the last handful of years, there's more recovery studios popping up. There's a studio I worked for for a little bit where you had all you had the ice baths and you had the hyperbolic chambers and all this stuff, right? And so I think recovery is finally getting its due, but I think a lot of times in a lot of things that we end up doing, we kind of over focus maybe. And what you said about the restorative actually gave you more strength in your power classes is huge. I, and I think we all understand, we all logically think that's a good idea. We should do that, but we don't. And one of the things I talked about with the um, mind and 
mind body, our mind body guru, who I've done a couple podcasts with, she said, we have control. We actually have control over our nervous system with breath. 100%. Do any of us remember that? <laughs> when no, we really need not. it? No. That's, um, I almost always start my classes with um, a reminder to notice your breath. Mm. Because we are also in a society where we judge everything that we do, everything that we eat, everything we wear. We judge everything and we'll criticize ourselves for every little thing. So I'm not calling a criticism towards your breath, just an awareness. Mm. And from time to time, we'll do a breath exercise. There are specific exercises to heat the body and to cool the body that I personally use in times of stress. There's several breathwork um, exercises that I will use because they do calm your central nervous system to bring you back to sattva when you're out of whack. Hmm. My watch gives me that reminder, but half the time I'm in a yoga class and I'm like, I can't relax right can't now. Relax I'm, right now. Um, I'm in a yoga. I can't relax when I'm in a yoga class. Well, I'll I am later. relaxed, but my breath is faster <laughs> and that it, that it wants me to be. So if I don't have my watch on an activity, it sees my breath speeding up. And then my watch, my Garmin tells me to start doing a square breath exercise, which is just a balanced box breath. Inhale, pause, exhale, pause. And it truly calms your nervous system down and brings you back to that place. So I always tell my students, any of the breath work I'm doing with your eyes open can be done when you're frustrated in traffic or at work and in a meeting that could have been an email. Like there's so many different places that it can be used without anyone knowing. So many places. A long, long time ago when I was at least a decade younger, I did a mind body meditations. I don't know. It was a lo- four or five days at Harvard, and one of the things I came back with was people need a visual cue to remember to breathe. Mm-hmm. And so, it was. Uh, and so for a while after this class, I gave everybody orange those orange sticker dots, and I said, "Put this on your computer, and every time you see it, you should take a big breath." And, you know, maybe it worked for people, maybe it didn't, but it, similar to, as this is before our watches can tell us what to do, <laughs> so, similar to that, it was a visual reminder for people to, oh, I see that orange dot, and it was um, an orange dot time of life, I guess. But that is a really great tie-in with the podcast I just did in terms of remembering that breath can be helpful and it can help and you just calm your nervous down nervous system down and reset it i think is really important to remind people of let's shift gears a little bit i want to go into another question that uh i get sometimes is clients who are hypermobile so a lot of times I've even had clients tell me, well, my doctor says that yoga isn't good for me because I'm hypermobile, so I need to do Pilates instead. And that definitely has merit. Again, to what we were talking about before, I think there's different yoga philosophies and different teachers and different types of studios. So two questions, I guess I'm gonna make this two parts. One, what do is there are there modifications about being hypermobile for yoga 
Okay, three questions. Two, should you tell your instructor <laughs> if you do walk into a yoga class? And three, um, I forgot the third one because I made the second one up on the spot. So <laughs> I, might, I might remember once we get going. So hypermobility, tell, should you tell an instructor? And is there a specific type of yoga to kind of steer towards if you have hypermobility issues? So hypermobility is something that most teachers are going to notice. If you don't know your instructor, you should always have a conversation about any counterindication, high blood pressure, injuries, surgeries, pregnancies. Those are all very important to tell your instructor, um, especially if you're new to the practice. So for hypermobility, I usually see it, the most common places to see it in elbows or knees. And we'll see somebody locking out a joint. My elbows are not hypermobile. I cannot make my arm an upside down V, but I see that in students. And the idea is that instead of trying to push yourself to that 100%, you back off to 90 and focus on finding the engagement of the muscles around the joints. Mm. And that is going to be challenging at first. I've been practicing for 14 years. And so now if I hear a specific muscle engagement, I get it. But I remember when I didn't. And every cue does not work for every student, just as every teacher doesn't work for every student. Um, One-on-ones are really good for people with um, specific questions or issues. Um, If you do have a lot of, I I mean, I I did, when I did my first teacher training, one of my good friends was hypermobile. And so, yeah, and I think one of my teachers was as well, but at the stage in their practice where they knew how to modify, but we definitely don't want to overextend our joints because then we're going to do more damage than we're going to do good. But it's absolutely safe within that reason if you are being able to be aware, which might not happen the first or second class or month. Okay. Now I remember my other question. In that, even in that, with those parameters, should, would it be better for a person to avoid hot yoga if they're hypermobile i don't i only teach hot yoga um okay so there's different words of hot yoga it's a buzzword um most people when they hear hot yoga they're thinking bikram and bikram is uh bikram is controversial enough to have a netflix documentary on him (laughs) so it's a style i tried once and decided it wasn't for me it's a set series of long holding poses, which is called Hatha yoga, which is standing long holds. Um, that to me is boring yoga, but it's also a different kind of challenge that some people really like. And some people like knowing exactly what poses next. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm a little too ADHD to know what poses next because I will tune out if I know where I'm going. And so to stay in the moment, it is better for me as a person, as a practitioner, and as a teacher to have a little more flexibility with what I'm doing. Um, That being said, I know people that swear by that practice. So I can't say it's a bad practice. It's just not my style. So hot yoga doesn't mean the room is 112 degrees necessarily. My room is between 90 and 105. Okay. And... The heat is there for multiple reasons. The heat is there because it is an additional stress to help you train your brain on how to react under stress. Hmm. But it is also there to help your muscles relax so you can work on them. It allows everything to loosen because most of us are tight. 
and it does allow you to have a little more flexibility. If you're hypermobile, it's that same idea. You have to be more aware than everyone mm -hmm. else in everything you're doing. I would imagine if you're, you know, lifting a box, you have to be aware not to over hyperextend something and like pull something. Um, but it allows for more flexibility and allows for a deeper stretch. When I have practiced, if I practice at home, like during the pandemic, I was practicing at home and I would turn a space heater on and turn my room heater on. And it wasn't, I, I've become addicted to the, to the warm room. Uh, but no, it is not 114 degrees. It's not 80% humidity. I'm not practicing in a swamp. Um, <laughs> but some people like that. And I, I, the when I've practiced in a room that was like 70 degrees, I was uncomfortable. <laughs> I huh. didn't, it wasn't for me. But that's the thing about yoga is that there's as many styles of yoga and as many teachers as there are students looking for that. Students. And that, that makes sense. I think, obviously, from my perspective, um, if I'm going to send a client to do some yoga, uh, I'll either refer to people I know and my, the client and I have already had a conversation. For example, if I think, you know, they have hypermobility tendencies to tell the, tell the instructor and let them know for people who are hearing this maybe for the first time and don't realize that they can be, are they're double jointed and can do things that most other people can't do with their joints. Um, a yoga instructor is trained to spot that in the class and to help that person modify. So that is, that is very good to know. So when I see somebody and you know, if I have a class of 20 people and I'm having to walk around, I might miss something because there's 20 people and I do my best to see if I see somebody who could go deeper in their downward dog or I see somebody whose elbows are completely turned up to the sky and they're upside down V, I'm going to go to them first and say, relax your elbows, you are double, you're hypermobile and engage your biceps because we don't want this to be your elbows. We're trying to take care of our body, not do more damage. And mm -hmm. I, I actually just really met a friend who used to love yoga and she now just does powerlifting, but when they did yoga, it was all about how deep can I go in a pose or how cool can I make this look to the expense of their body. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's a very like ballerina mentality. From my understanding of ballerina and gymnastics is you're going to push your body past where it wants to go. And that is not my philosophy of yoga. And in all reality, it's really for both of us who are in the body world, one of the things I think we have to educate because I think a lot of mentality and we both work with athletes is pushing through is better. Pushing through makes, makes it might be harder, but it will make me better and stronger in the end. And in the short term, and I tell clients this, your compensation patterns did help you in the short term. But long-term, having those go on without addressing that is a detriment because then you have different layers and then different injuries and et cetera, et cetera. So I think in general, most of the time, it's us reminding people that more isn't always better. Sometimes it's just more. <laughs> Sometimes it's just more. And one of the big things that yoga 
So I started in a gym because there was a class one day and I like classes because it's more fun than an elliptical. Um, Anything is more fun than elliptical. Except maybe a treadmill. Um, (laughs) Except a treadmill. I hate the treadmill. But I went and I fell in love and I practiced it because it it was fun. Like the movements were fun. About 10 years into my practice, I realized that there was a mental aspect to it. It just wasn't a thing I realized. Yes, I feel good after. I feel more calm after, but I didn't get the why. I didn't understand the why. And then I got into the other side of it, which is a deeper, older philosophy, um, which we don't need to get into today. But (laughs) um, the hardest part for a lot of yoga and a lot of especially athletes who come to yoga is letting go of their ego. Because you see me doing a posture a certain way and you want to demo it, but I've been practicing for 14 years and spending men. I mean, right now my practice is about four days a week, where as times it's been seven days a week and it ebbs and flows with life. But they're spending 12 hours a week training for a triathlon. I'm spending four hours a week training for a triathlon and four hours a week doing yoga. So our egos, we have to leave them because that's not real. Like if I'm trying to run as fast as Iliad Kipchoge, I know that that's not a thing because my body is not, I'm not going to, one, I'm not going to train that hard and two, my body is not designed like that. Except on a paper, we can make, we could draw you. Oh, I can draw me like, yes. Okay. Yes. Let's draw that. I'll see that. That'd be funny. Um, but like, I know that I'm not going to run a four minute mile for a marathon. <laughs> just as I know that I'm not going to sit comfortably in a full lotus pose because my hips don't like it and it's not worth it. Yes, I can absolutely get myself into full you, lotus. You could. You could. I don't like to because it doesn't feel good. So I'm not going to. And letting go of that ego and listening, learning to listen to your body. It doesn't come your first class. It might take years. Ten years. Yeah, probably. That's all. Plus, plus, I'm much older than I was 14 years ago. <laughs> and <laughs> I've had two children since I started practicing. And I did practice. I didn't do prenatal yoga. I did regular yoga for 40 weeks with my second and like 20 weeks with my first. I don't know where I stopped with him. Hmm. I definitely went lazy with the first. Lazy with the first. Um, so even if we pare down the 10 years, I can see some clients saying, well, of course she's like Zen now because she's. She's had 10 years to get this right. Um, the, the takeaway really is, it is a journey. It's a journey. It is a practice. It's a, There's a practice. practice. Yeah. Not a destination. And in yeah. French, there's a saying, uh, it's called de devenir, which means loosely translated to become. And it's, it's not the goal to become, it's the journey it's 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 the road of becoming it's not a it's not an end right there's a it's a middle and really i think if we view it as a middle instead of i got into that pose which can be a great feeling but to your point pushing there's a point where we're pushing and a point where going back to hypermobility and i think this actually is true for all clients hypermobility or not Finding where the muscles engage mm-hmm. is probably the aha moment yes. where the brain turns on and starts to think 
this is how my body sequences. Yes, absolutely. Um, so like a lot of, especially with like fun yoga poses, the ones I call like the fun poses, the ones where I'm flying on my arms and my legs are off the ground and my whole body is like twisted. It's about finding where that, the tipping point, like your, your spoon on the side of a, of a plate, right? You're trying to find where that balancing is, where you have to engage to lift certain things and not others, but without doing harm. And it's very empowering. And that's one of the things I love about power yoga is that I wasn't athletic. I was not physically in shape ever until my early 20s. And so when I proved to myself, I can do something that I don't think I should be able to do because my image of myself is of like 12 year old me. It's empowering to be like, oh, yeah, okay. So I couldn't play you know, hockey in middle school, but I can do this now. And that's pretty darn cool. And the brain, and that maybe goes into what you were saying, kind of, we could do another podcast on the deeper, deeper part. (laughs) Deeper, deeper. (laughs) The brain then maybe shifts almost to a third person awareness, like, Instead of it's all being about me, it's almost looking at yourself from a third person point of view, which then gives you more space to be, I don't want to say, I guess neutral is the best word I can think of. Like you can approach your practice, your life, your movement, maybe a little more more neutral than what you were saying earlier. We kind of beat ourselves up. We come to the, to the mat or to the session saying, oh, I, I, you know, even didn't do my exercises or I can't get into that pose because I just oh, too tight. And so you start to have that mental chatter in your head that you're not doing it right or you're not good enough. So shifting the brain out of that first person to third person. Yeah, there's a lot there. There's a lot. So I think of it instead of shifting to a third person as actually just being mindful or present mm-hmm. because you're not thinking about what happened yesterday. You're not thinking about what's going to happen. You're just in that moment. And in that moment, maybe I have another inch to lift my legs in this pose. Mm. Or maybe I have another inch. I can go deeper into this pose. Or a millimeter. doesn't have to be an inch. But um, that presence. And that's with like meditation. Is You were talking about that. It's really scary. And I remember the first time I went to my teacher after a meditation, like, challenge we're all supposed to meditate 15 minutes a day and I was like I can't turn my brain off for 15 minutes a day and she's like that's not what meditating is meditating is being aware that your mind is wandering Hmm. and back to your center I was like oh and every time you notice and you catch your mind going somewhere else for that moment you're present and then that moment's gone and then it's gone and then you continue going for me, power yoga, I don't have time to think about my worries or my anxiety because I'm thinking about my breath and my body. And that's why that practice speaks to me. I don't have time when I'm really anxious. If I'm moving on a mat, my brain's not worried because mm. I'm focusing on how the, the sensation in my left foot is and where my knee is in alignment with my toes. Like I'm focusing on that. That sounds like a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about that. I'm envisioning my knee in alignment and my toes and my foot. And I don't know, I was trying to keep my balance at the same time, probably 
Yeah. And also understanding that some days I don't have a good balance and one side's going to be different than the other and accepting that and being okay with that. Always. Always. You know better than anybody. My hips are not balanced. Some days I can do something on one side that I can't on the other and I have to accept that. I can't force myself to do something because my body is literally not aligned to do something the other way and I have to be okay with that. Yeah. That is true. Your body is not aligned to do some things. <laughs> <laughs> me specifically. I'm not talking about everybody else. Yes. Totally, this is all about me. Yes. Um, you specifically. But I mean, most people are probably not balanced left to right. Oh, definitely not. So and they'll be able to hold a tree pose on one side without thinking. And the other side, they're not going to be able to get their foot off the ground. And that's okay. There's a place for that. There are different stages of every single pose I teach. There's a different place for you. Oh, that's beautiful. That just reminds me of Mr. Rogers. So we're going to end there because I love the ending. (laughs) That was a beautiful ending. Thank you. I I was born in Pittsburgh, so I am just like Mr. Rogers. (laughs) You just tied it up in a pretty bow for me and I don't even have to do an an end sentence now. Um, Thank you so much for coming to do our podcast today. I think we, we may have a deeper version in our future a deeper yoga version of, of some, or body, we can come up with a name for it, body embodiment, I don't know, um, in our future where we kind of maybe dive a little bit more past the, the um, strength, flexibility, proprioception, and then general awareness and how, and tying that with life. Like we could go big. We could go big. I'm here for you. You know where to find me. I do. Thank you very much, Jen. Appreciate it. All right. I'll talk to you later. Okay. Bye. Bye.